This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Oru, Goru. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart! Now go, you heroes of Thra! Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. This is the Dark Crystal Podcast. I'm your host, Philip, and with me, as always, is Sydney. So, Sydney, how have you been going? Still uh, hanging in there in our, our times of darkening. Um, it's It's <laughs> been quite an adventure we're finding new ways to to make life at home uh livable and you know i think all things considered i'm i'm starting to feel optimistic we're making it work um doing what we got to do today we're talking about deet and she's definitely somebody who knows a little something about staying inside for too long and then being blinded by the sun when you finally emerge from the caves so <laughs> yeah um. absolutely yeah <laughs> living in the the caves of grot and um i mean her clan's you know very very small there's only i think about a dozen or i think it's like 12 to 18 people or gelflings that reside that are part of the uh the grotten clan so there's actually not many of them i'm um, just thinking about that yeah it's a really really small clan um the jm lee gets a, a little more detailed in his glossaries in the in the novels about you know exactly how small the uh the Groton clan is and and then also the the other clans of Gelfling don't even have any comprehension of of whether or not the Grotten still exist like a lot of them think that they're extinct and because they never see them they're just like oh you guys still you know for all they know there there aren't even any so they're definitely among the more mysterious of clans and definitely one of the smaller ones for sure so yeah, I mean that, that's the thing today. We we go and talk about Deet for our discussion for this episode. You know, we we had such a blast sort of talking about our Rian in our previous sort of discussions. So we're definitely going to keep continuing on um, with that. And also, so before we get into discussing about Deet, I want to thank people who um, pledged their support to um, the Patreon, uh, which we just started uh, last month. So you can check all that out at um, patreon.com forward slash dark crystal podcast. Uh, we've got quite a few, uh, you know, rewards or, you know, that are on offer um, based on whichever tier you um, you choose. Uh, so one of which, of course, is an exclusive sh- show that I've been doing called uh, Dream Space, which is um, just sort of a just a general dark qu- crystal discussion or like if there's anything like breaking news or or anything I just randomly sort of, you know, discuss about exclusively on uh, Patreon. And, and also yourself, Sydney. You've also been uh, producing some uh, fan art for the podcast. So really appreciate it. Because um, I know you did um, uh, Rian. Yeah. And of course, because we're talking about 
update that we're going to have a data fan art as, as well. Yeah, I'm uh, really enjoying working on a little something different for Deet. Um, that it's just a little image that popped into my head of something I might like to see of her. And I think for for each for each piece of art, I like it to correspond with the the character that we're talking about. And um, I want to try to just capture the the essence, so to speak, of each each character as we discuss them. And Deet's definitely one of my favorites, and I think a lot of fans' favorites. So. I'm really putting my heart into this little piece of her, and I hope you guys like it. So check that out on um, on Patreon, so you can see the you know get the exclusive fan art just for our just for our fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, again, we really yeah appreciate the support because um, it really helps um, keep us going with making more podcasts um, to come. You know, as we. That I mean, with this with a show like Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, there's just so much um to talk about, you know, just just for ten episodes alone. So there's so much to discuss, and yeah, I really uh I think we'll definitely start getting dive deep uh with with Deet. So gentle Deet, gentle Deet, yes, yeah. I, I guess you know we we talked about that she's from the Grotten clan there's not many of them and sort of the first thing we really see her doing is of course um flying so it, it, it's actually i mean I, I love seeing her flying like in the show um whether it's you know feeding feeding the nurlocks or i think probably later on in, in the show we're probably gonna, definitely going to talk about um the breath of pra yeah definitely. when she's flying with you know holding on to rien and flying through the breath of it's really interesting to me that she's she's sort of the first Gelfling that we see um, taking to the sky in the in the way that she does. Especially when you factor in uh, the the first time we ever saw the trailer for the series, she was the first time we had seen a Gelfling fly um, bef- after Kira, um, and it's such a different type of flight too. With Kira, she she really she glides. Um, you know, down the mountain, her wings, they come out and they're very like fabric gossamer sort of wings and she just kind of glides down. Uh, whereas with Deet, she flies like a, like a dragonfly. Her wings are very like, like a, like a bumblebee or, um, just her flight pattern reminds me very much of like a dragonfly. And I thought that was really interesting. She's sort of really just a creature of, of nature, which is interesting when you consider that her name Deet is short for Dethra, so she is she's Deet of of Thra. Thra is in her name. She's just very close to the the planet and to the natural world, and um, I I I kind of wish they'd gone into that a little bit more about her full name and what why she was named after Thra and if there was a deeper reason for that with her with her dad's naming her that. Yeah, I know that that was sort of interesting. Yeah, like when when she was refer- referred as Dethra quite a few times, but we never got to find out. You know, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, we just have to presume that. Yeah, it'd be, I mean, thinking about how the Gelfling are the most closest to Thra, and I guess you know with Deet, you know, living in the caves of Grot, being underground, that well, she's probably more you know the more closest to to Thra. Yeah. And then you know, in, in, internal, you know, inside of Thra, I guess, in in that way, yeah, yeah. So, no, which is really cool. And and I guess like that was the thing. Um, I think when I was reading the um behind the scenes book for the making of um Age Resistance, and um, I, I think in the book that mentioned that um that Deet was somewhat largely based on the character of uh of Therma, the fireling from 
um, the Power of the Dark Crystal movie. And that, you know, both were conceived as a sort of a large-eyed heroines dwelling in an underground realm who ventured to the service world in order to save their respective people. And according to Jeff, I think Deet was meant to act as sort of the audience's eyes and ears into Thra's natural world. Um, While Hallie Stanford uh, described her as the ultimate environmental activist. Definitely. Um, Yeah. So I think we really agree about that. I will say, though, before, you know, maybe a lot of uh, listeners, when they hear that she was inspired by Therma, they might, there might be some divisive reactions just because a lot of fans are not huge fans of that Power of the Dark Crystal um, comic book series. But, but I will say that, you know, especially being so um, in connection with so many other members of the fandom, across the board, typically, even the, the fans who didn't enjoy the Power of the Dark Crystal still were interested in the character of Therma. There was, they still admit that there's something there to the character of Therma because she was very different from what we had seen before. And um, if you really think about it, there are a lot of similarities between Deet and that Therma character because she's, even though she is a Gelfling, she is very separate. The, the Groton clan are very separated from the other clans. You know, they're, we see it when she comes to the surface, how she's treated, kind of, you know, the Gelfling who are surprised to see her because a lot of them think the Groton are extinct, and then a lot of them treat her like she's, you know, they're, they're kind of xenophobic and racist toward her. You know, Grottons are lower than us. They're dirty. They're, they're not really part of our society you know you when was the last time you washed your hands (laughs) um that sort of thing and therma is kind of she had a very similar experience you know where she was someone else from another another world (laughs) so to speak and and literally came from underground and um had to adjust to life above ground and we were seeing the world through her eyes um, as sort of a, a new baby to this world and learning about things for the first time that the other clans take for granted. And that's definitely true of Deet. She's seeing things literally through new eyes. She has to adjust her eyes when she comes up to the surface um, by wearing that sort of blindfold that you know protects her eyes from the sun because she's got those black grotten eyes that are adept for seeing in the dark, but she's not used to that sun and um, no no so and, it's, and, and th- it's interesting that that comparison it's, it's oh there yeah for sure. uh, yeah absolutely yeah i mean especially like hints of like especially like the breath of thra the way that that was sort of described that you know okay then it could exist about the filings um you know being down there um but like i mean for me it's like you know I'm 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 very fascinated about the filings or with Therma. Um, I think that was one of the sort of the stronger aspects um, with Power of the Dark um, Crystal and sort of that's and sort of that struggle. I guess you know internally versus externally those kind of themes. I think they were trying to go for, but yeah, I think the big thing was really just the story in regards to. I mean, for me, I think the big thing is always going to be you know bringing the Skeksis and Mystics back. Um, that sort of. Um, yeah, probably. I don't. I don't know. I don't think. I. I can understand why that you would. That you know they would want to go that route because it's like, well, we got to bring these characters back that we know and love or that we that we remember. But their story was really ended with the Dark Crystal. It's like we don't need to see them, you know, anymore. New new threat. That sort of thing is probably what I 
uh, personally would have liked. But I mean, we'll, we'll save that for another time. I think you know we'll definitely. I think there's definitely an episode, um, probably with the Gathering Songs actually, with um with the Power of the Dark Crystal, uh, which we'll definitely get into later yeah, later on. Sure. <laughs> I think also too that with Age of yeah. Resistance, I think they really wanted to focus on branching out those Gelfling characters because we only got two of them in the movie and for a lot of fans maybe who weren't as involved in the expanded universe and the books and the comics and all that you know really their only familiarity was through the movie then you would have only seen two Gelfling at all and we're fascinated by that Gelfling culture what existed before Jen and Kira what was the society that they came from and with Deet I feel that she was the first Gelfling that we see that is genuinely unlike those familiar characters that we knew from the movie. And not necessarily in personality, because we can get into later how uh, there's a lot of comparisons to be made personality-wise between Deet and Jen and Kira. But just from a superficial standpoint, even back when they first released those, um, those three pictures, the first time we ever saw pictures of our main three heroes, way before the show premiered, before we had the trailer... Before any of that, all we had were those first three images, and we were like, <gasps> everyone was so moved by Deet in particular because she wasn't familiar looking. She was, she looked very real, and she looked very interesting, and she looked like we immediately fell in love with her, but there was no denying that she did not look like Jenner Kira. She was, she had a different skin tone. The proportions of her face and her ears and her eyes were so drastically different. Um, the way that she dressed her hair like we can we were immediately interested in like whoa where did she come from like she's still clearly a gelfling but not like we're used to whereas rian is like oh yeah rian looks a lot like jen brea looks a lot like kira like they look like familiar gelfling but um deets she was an introduction into something that we hadn't seen yet and that's something that i think everybody really resonated with when it when it comes to deed is just like how she really intrigued us into what other new stuff are we gonna see hey, absolutely yeah and, and just thinking about earlier um especially you know talking about you know how she is very different and how the other clans you know i mean when she visits the, the stonewood and and then when she uh, i think it was in episode two when she says that line you know getting along may be hard at first but like anything else in life it just takes time to adjust that that was like yeah such a great moment like from a great line from the show i think when she was uh, talking to hup about because hup because hup was just like your eyes yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah i know i think hup was saying oh girlfriend clans they don't get along you know they're they're not not what you think they are sort of thing and um yeah yeah so um i i guess you know we might as well talk about like all these so many moments um and you know with with deep from the show i think we'll probably have to you know go you know through you know episode by episode for some of these moments of course but of course the big one is of course is the um her getting visions from the uh the sanctuary tree which really that that really sort of begins her adventure you know when she sees goes to the sanctuary tree for the first time and, and gets all those visions of things to come i think i did mention in the previous shows that all those visions i think they all came true except for um i think there was one shot of olga that when she was screaming at the little the pluffum but you know i consider that sort of you know that sort of happened you know in context with the events so 
for the most part, yeah, everything that she sees, she's seeing a snippet of things that actually happened. Um, however, she's only seeing a part of the picture. She's seeing the worst thing that happens, but not what happens afterward. Like, for example, Augur with the Pluffum, she's seeing the moment when the Pluffum is, is dead in Augur's hands and Augur's upset about it, but she's not seeing the moment where Augur gets the answer that she seeks and she figures out how to heal him and um, the moment of resolution that comes after that moment. Because the moment after that um, for Augra and the Pluffum is like this huge revelation where she finds the Song of Thra again and then ends up, you know, going to the dream space with all of the main Gelfman heroes. And it's like a huge, pivotal, like, uplifting moment in the, in the series. So circling back to Deet's visions, she's, yeah, she's seeing horrible things, but they're also things that prelude important moments of um, that are not necessarily bad things too. So she's only seeing the things that like, oh, these are the bad things that are going to happen that I have to work toward changing. And, uh, and then the bad things do still happen, but then afterward, positive things happen as a result of them also. Like they're able to, um, they're able to solve the problems that happen. So it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a good little lesson there. That's like, yeah, sometimes you have to go through these these bad moments but that doesn't mean that it has to stay bad the um there's moments of resolution that follow that yeah it's uh, i just sort of thinking about it now you know some of these characters are able to you know have visions of the future and i mean the tree is definitely one of them um i think you know as we get you know probably later on with episode eight um when she gets you know the second part you know of her her, her visions uh which would probably be moments that probably will happen in season two but even like with um, Skekra and Ergo, when they had sort of their own vision about um, the Gelfling clan, you know, saving Thra or, or um, you know, with the Gelfling, you know, getting the jeweled glaive to save their clan and to defeat the Skeksis. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that, yeah, like in this world of Thra, that, yeah, they're really able to see the future from some point of view. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as uh, Obi-Wan would say, from a certain point of view. And they're... <laughs> They are, um, the, the interesting note to, to, thing to consider is that even those visions that Deet ultimately has um, toward the end, and then even uh, Ergo and Skekra's visions as well, they're showing just a part of the future too, because they don't really go into what happens in the Dark Crystal film. They're not seeing Jen or Kira having the moment where they heal the crystal and unite the Skeksis and the Mystics and they're not seeing the ultimate like great conjunction they're seeing moments leading up to it still so that tells us that there's just still a whole chunk of the story that we haven't been shown yet and it's interesting to me because we have seen the part of the future that the characters in Age of Resistance haven't seen we're seeing the the, the things that were left out for them but then they get to see parts of the story that we as an audience haven't seen yet. So there's that nice little juxtaposition of like, we have knowledge that the characters don't have. And then we're also learning new things through their eyes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, hopefully, you know, if season two comes to light. Hopefully we get, you know, get sort of, especially with her visions and part, you know, from episode eight sort of follow through in season two or whatnot. So um, there's still a lot of stories um, that are very left open that hopefully we'll be able to 
to at least get some kind of conclusion yeah to to their stories so no which is really cool and i guess you know i was just thinking of some of the many moments um the deep moments so of course we talked about the vision from episode one and then she goes back and reports what happened to her to Mar- madra argo and to her and to her fathers and um you know without trying to go into too too long of a rant about how much i love madra argo and i think everybody did um <laughs> um deet is just we get a little bit more of an insight into into her life and her family the fact that she has uh, these two fathers and a little brother and um that was a really really cool moment to see and then also um it was kind of telling when she was talking about how the sanctuary tree talked to her and her dads are like <laughs> you know trees don't talk yeah and then and madra argot says well except for when they do <laughs> yeah so that implies that the sanctuary tree doesn't just show visions and talk to anybody who walks up to it like it's not common knowledge in the Groton clan even though the Grottons are so in tune with Thra, the tree doesn't talk to everybody. It chose Deet, and that's something that Madra Argo says. She says, you know, the tree and Thra chose you. Um, so we have to wonder, kind of, is it literally just because she's naturally just so in tune with Thra and is so pure and innocent and loves nature so much, or is there something more to Deet's character as to why she's sort of the chosen representative for Thra. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the ch- the chosen one for the you know for the Groton clan essentially. Because um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it does make me think whether um, Mordra Argot's been able to to talk to the Sanctuary Tree. I mean, she, I mean, she does say, well, you know, unless, um, except when they can. Yeah, so I think that must something. imply that she, yeah, that she has, yeah, probably had a couple conversations with the tree. Yeah. Love to know what well, those she's conversations also familiar be with. Yeah, she's also familiar with Mother Agra as well. There's sort of that implication there that she has had an encounter with Agra in the past, and maybe that's why she has a lot of knowledge. And we do find out later in the comics and sort of later in episodes that Madra Argo had been to the surface before um, when she she helped out like Ordon and uh, Farah when they were younger um, during that that first uh, dual glaive retrieval adventure and everything. And so Marta Arbat has some experience above and has a little insight for, for Deet. Um, but she gave us as an audience the clue that it's an uncommon thing for the sanctuary tree to have that kind of a connection with, with a Gelfling in a verbal sense like that. Not, it, it's an unusual thing and Deet is special for having had it. Because even like with Mar- Mordra Argot, um, that she, yeah, mentioned that. I wonder if she mentions that. She, yeah, I mean, me- she probably mentioned that she has met with Olgra, even though Olgra has been asleep for probably like hundreds of trine. Um, and I think that was the other thing. I think with Mordra, I think she's definitely um the oldest of all the the Gelfling clans as well. So because they do look, they um even though there's only a few of them, but uh they can live for a long time yeah as she is the oldest one and she's seen a lot more than the other madras have seen yes yeah um and that was the other thing that um probably the with with the show of course is you know when um date you know she she fell and she sort of injured herself and and madra i gives her the medicine for her wings 
and I actually thought that that was going to be something that would be uh, throughout the show, like that she, you know, there might be circumstances where she can't fly because, you know, she's still bruised up or, you know, that she, she needs to heal up, um, that sort of thing. So that was one of those little things. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, they sort of skipped that. <laughs> you know, they had that in the first episode, but just sort of, yeah, they just sort of uh, leave that for, you know, probably the, the side adventures sort of thing. Uh, if we ever um, get deleted yeah. scenes in like a Blu-ray release, how great would that be if there were more scenes that we haven't seen? Like, uh, if they release the show on Blu-ray and there turn out to be deleted scenes, I'm going to do such a big happy dance. Like, you have no idea. Yeah. Um, I know. But, I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but we, we also, we don't see Deep Fly again until I think... Um, yeah, episode... When, would it be episode um seven, I think? Wait, no, eight. I, I think it's when she uh, when she goes to rescue Hup, and she's the oh, yeah. she pretends oh, to be a monster with the glow yeah mask. sorry yeah that is episode um, four yeah. yeah but it's still it's a few episodes down that's some time so absolutely it, yeah I mean yeah. <laughs> in that sense we you know there is a good little chunk of time where she's not using her wings and you could say that you know the reasoning behind why we don't see her fly during that time is because her wings are injured and everything but yeah yeah then, um, absolutely yeah we don't see her fly again until her little um sneaky rogue mission uh to rescue yes, Hup yeah. and pretend uh, to be uh, a monster that, uh, yeah and that was such a great moment actually from the start of episode four and um to rescue Hup and i just i think I, uh, more than anything i just i mean i love the way that deet looked like as the monster i mean She's more of a beautiful monster in a, in a way, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> with the with the I blue moss. That glow moss. Yeah, man, I wish glow moss was real. Like, there's so many things about Thra that we watch and we wish were real, but glow moss is a hundred percent one of those things. Where I'm like, ah, oh, that's so cool, man. Like, you can keep your alcohol. I just I want glow moss. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> yeah. glow in the dark and like yeah. throw my own rave in the living room when I'm glowing. Ugh. Um, but yeah, that also brings up a really interesting point that um that I kind of wanted to touch on when comparing Deet with Rian, because we had talked a lot about Rian before, how Rian has this moment where he becomes um, sort of bitter and um, his shields are up, you know, because the other Gelfling have been treating him like he was a monster because no nobody believes him. Whereas with Deet, she has this totally other perspective where she is so instinctually trusting to everyone that she meets she immediately thinks the best of them she's so like pure and innocent and like when she meets Rian she doesn't understand why he's grouchy and like why yeah, no. why he's sad and like she doesn't really have the um she doesn't have the context for what's been going on socially all she knows is like oh hey this guy needs help with his fire what's going on and she just immediately wants to open up her heart to him and be helpful and she doesn't know him at all. And if you go back and re-watch every single moment where Deet meets somebody or encounters a creature, that's her attitude is just open-minded, open heart. Like she trusts everyone. <laughs> like she, yeah, <laughs> she has to learn. She has the opposite lesson in a way that, that Rian has where he has to learn to let his guard down and let people in. Deet kind of has to learn who to trust and like kind of build a little bit more of a guard and um she has to learn to be a little bit tougher because she starts out the opposite of Rian where she's just like I love everybody and 
I'm going to try to befriend this big spider. Normally, animals like me so much. <laughs> like, yeah, <no. laughs> Why are we fighting, yeah. big spider? Why are you mad? <laughs> um, yeah, she's just... And that honestly is a huge reason why she's a great candidate to be sort of that representative of Thrall and that perfect... Um, what was what was the quote that she said about her being the ultimate activist for nature sort of the, uh, the yeah, reason yeah. because she's so open-hearted and pure like she has no concept of society <laughs> she has no concept no. of politics or the clans and like all she knows yeah, is is her home yeah her home and the, and nature and all the animals and her family and she doesn't have any concept of like what's been going on with the Skeksis. I don't even think she mentions the Skeksis at all. No, no. I mean, it's almost like, it, it is very much like a trait for, you know, the, um, like, uh, you know, like the hero's journey, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, sort of if you're comparing this to like uh, Lord of the Rings, for example, like with Frodo, like he's never gone outside the Shire. He's always been a bag end, you know, living in this, you know, in, in his own world and, and not realizing, oh, wow, you know, there's a lot that's out there you know a lot of bad stuff is happening just outside of us yeah. um all he yeah, has is yeah, the stories yeah. of other people's adventures stories from from gandalf and from bilbo and Deet has kind of a similar experience like she's probably listened to stories from from the madra and from older gelfling maybe probably maybe from her dad's um but you know and with the expanded universe and with the novels we know that the grottens have a really good library of Gelfling history and they are sort of the clan that's it's their job to protect the relics of the past um, in the shadows whereas the Groton are looking toward the light and toward the future and toward evolving whereas the the Groton are I mean the Vaprin are about looking ahead and looking forward in the future and then the Grottens are more about protecting the past and and uh, preserving their history so we know that with that context, Deep probably has a lot of knowledge from a historical standpoint, kind of like how Brea does. But as far as society and the, the Skeksis and all of that, she just really has no concept of that. She, her entire motivation is just from the perspective of protecting nature. Like she only knows about the darkening because it's the darkening and she's seen it infect nature. But she has no idea that it's the Skeksis doing it and, like, who they even are. Like, does she even have any sort of understanding about the Skeksis at all? Like, she doesn't... The Skeksis don't even come into play from her perspective until well after she sort of joins the party, so to speak. Yeah, I know. I was... I mean, I know she saw Skeksis in her vision... In the visions from the first part, um, but yeah she didn't really she doesn't yeah, have the same fear of yeah. them from like a societal standpoint that that say brea would have because brea has to interact with the skexies from like a a diplomatic point of view and she gets like a she sees firsthand like brea's perspective is that she's seeing the corruption happening in front of her when the skexies come for their tithing ceremony and she's physically suspicious of them because she's in their presence whereas deep her understanding of the darkening isn't from a political corruption standpoint it's literally just i'm seeing the darkening infect the world and i want to try to figure out what that is so it's, just, it's really interesting that our three heroes like 
they're they're all sheltered at the beginning but for different reasons because i, I would not imagine like um the skeksis for example you know because i know i think it, i think it was sort of mentioned in the books that they would sort of go to each clan to get their numbers and all that kind of stuff and i know that they they pretty much skipped the drenching clan um i don't think they've ever gone there um because i remember i think when naya went to they're too far away yeah they're too far away and probably the same and case with in the muck and yeah in, in the caves it's like oh i don't want to go down there it's too far yeah. away you know <laughs> yep yep although again and i keep bringing up expanded universe but we do find out later that there is um a skexies that ends up going down into the into the caves of grot oh yes yeah yeah with um song of the dark crystal yes yeah yeah, yeah. and then yeah. that's the this the satirist yes yeah uh skekli skekli yeah and yeah. then it sort of for a short time becomes like the the grotten's duty to like guard him and um uh, keep yeah him, like yeah. keep him imprisoned down there yes yeah and then there was um, that um the mystic counterpart as well um yeah. who um sort of like the historian or sort of you know yeah he was just protecting uh, the library yes yes yeah that's full of treasure and a lot of history there (laughs) yeah so i just it would be really interesting to get more um maybe more reading material i guess about the the clans from a cultural perspective about like what they might know from their libraries and things like that because it seems like whereas the the vaprin have expansive texts their libraries and their text is kind of influenced by the skexies and as we sort of see from brea because brea starts to notice that the story is really only kind of being told how the skexies want it to be seen whereas the Groton clan, their library is all full of relics and pieces of history that remain untouched and aren't really being messed with by the Skeksis. They're just 100% historical artifacts. So they're just, I don't know, I just, I, I could always get more of that. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I, I, mean, I certainly hope we, you know, ho- hopefully they'll get into that with, um, I think those books that are going to be coming up, um, there's Songs of the Seven Gelfling Clans. Oh, yeah. And then there's another book that's Joe who's writing that one. And then there's another mm-hmm. one called The Dark Crystal Bestiary. Bestiary. Yeah, um, so I think that's coming out later this year. So, Cannot wait. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been like seeing some of the preview pages and it's like, cool, you know, mm-hmm. not all these different creatures. And um, yeah. and even the fire, there was one page that they even had a little thing, a little um, thing about the filings as well. So I'm like, ooh, okay. Yeah, so That's we're yeah, yeah. So technically, it's kind of cool. we're we're not ignoring them. We're <laughs> no, <still> no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. So no, it's just really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, oh, I mean, one of the things I love about Deet is she's great at cheering, um, people up. Like, I mean, especially cheering Hup up. I think when Hup was a bit down during, I think um, episode five. And she says, you know, did nobody rescue me from the spitter or the stone in the wood or the gobbles? And then, you know, when Hup, you know, he throws his spoon, you know, silly spoon. Um, but then she grabs it, the spoon and says, you know, well, you know, if you ask me, you already are, you know, a paladin sort of thing. And um, just, just great at cheering Hup up. And 
another example, especially with um episode six, um, while she's talking to Bria at the Crystal Desert, and um, I think Bria was like, oh, she wanted to go back back home to do you know to perform like the cere- to be part of the ceremony, uh, the you know so sort of the funeral for the for her mother, um, the Almodra, but you know Deet's like, oh, you know, well maybe we can have our own ceremony right here, um, you know. That's what friends do. We help. Yeah. Yeah. She's just the heart. She's the heart of the party. A hundred percent. And then also really similarly when she first meets Rian and Rian's like at his lowest and he's just so down and discouraged. And even in that moment, she gets her idea to rescue Hup from Rian and she tells him, you're so incredibly helpful. Thank you. And you can sort of see it in Rian's face of like, I am like, (laughs) I'm helpful. Like, I, I thought I was monst- a monster. I thought it was garbage. Like, he, he, and she sort of uplifts him in that moment just in the first time meeting him. She helps him light a fire, and she tells him that he helped her. And he's like, he still feels, he gets that boost of like, oh, I'm still useful. I'm still important. I still matter. I shouldn't give up. Like, she's just, she's the opposite of the darkening. She infects positivity. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she, I guess she was the opposite of, of Rian in a way, you know, that Rian was, you know, yeah, just always feeling down and down and and then that sort of deeds very uplifting and I guess her, for her to be uplifting, you know, to show that, you know, towards um, Rian sort of, you know, changes him in a way, um, you know, especially when I had like a little bit of banter, you know, they sort of got to know each other a bit more in episode seven, um, Rian got to know a bit more of... Um, Deet's family or the the rump dress that sort of thing and um or like you know saying poking at each other you know with with names and stuff um daylighter and you know so um yeah they really they really start to to really get along i think from um episode seven onwards Mm -hmm. and he learns to sort of bring his shields down from her you know she she helps him to get hope and to be a little more trusting and a little more open-hearted and that's sort of her job like you could say that Rian is the the motivation and the spirit to keep going and to keep fighting he's like that hero spirit and then Brea is like the brains and she figures everything out from a logical standpoint from her position of privilege where she has you know a lot of understanding about society and about knowledge and then uh, Deet is really the heart she's the heart and the the love and the inspiration and um, the trust she's really and she's so pure and I think that's why she's ultimately the the only one gonna cycle it back to Lord of the Rings again again how Frodo's the only one who can uh, (laughs) who can handle the ring you know anybody else wouldn't be able to carry the ring to Mordor because the ring would infect them essentially um and corrupt them whereas it's the same with with the darkening deet is chosen to be the one who can control the darkening so to speak and she can house it in herself um for longer than other other gelfling would because she is literally like the opposite of the darkening she has such an infectious positivity and spirit and heart about her that it makes her more resilient against the darkening than i think anybody else would be Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, that 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 was a, the big thing. Like, yeah, in episode eight, when um she decides to, or oh, that the tree sort of ends up giving her, you know, sort of the visions, but also sort of transferring the darkening 
um, to date and seeing those visions for what's to come. And um, yeah, it's just, it makes me think about that. Um, yeah, for sure. And I did also learn something interesting uh, recently about Diet. I learned from Becky Henderson, her puppeteer, um, that I read in a little a little blurb from her that she brought in aspects of the stone adventuring, which is this beautiful green, vibrant light um, form of, of crystal. And she brought it and incorporated it into Diet's costume because adventuring is sort of representative of it's known as the stone of opportunity and it's sort of like a hero's spirit and a spirit of good luck and encouragement and moving forward and taking opportunity and she thought that that fell in line with Deet's character and I was like that's so cool that she that she did that that Becky her puppeteer sort of you know her one of her creators <laughs> brought that that aspect into into her and that if you look closely at aspects of Deet's costume she's got little bits of adventuring which is a, a crystal from our planet <laughs> and i'm a bit of a of a crystal nerd myself i have quite a collection and to hear that i get that made me really excited i was like oh that's so cool that she took that sort of mythology we have about what different crystals crystals represent and she interpreted that deet should be represented with this stone of opportunity and good luck and moving forward and like a like having spirit like that makes a lot of yeah, sense wow. i thought that was really cool Oh, that, that is awesome. I did not know about that. So that that's cool. Yeah. Because um, I know like one of the sort of the biggest one, the trivia is like, you know, with her character is um, especially um, with Deet's eyes. Um, and I know that this was something I think I'm just going to read about it here. But um, the Deet's puppet's eyes were so large that there was no space in the head to incorporate the servo triggered eyelids. Um, so the act of blinking had to be added digitally. I mean, that was the one of the things like, I think that, um, D-Neg or the, the people that did the visual effects, um, really did a great job with her eyes actually. Yeah. Cause it's like, would you have noticed, would you have, if you didn't know that, would you have realized that her eyes were digital at all? No, no. And I, and I think that's the thing I was really surprised about it is, um, I, like one of the big things. I think I'll probably say this a couple of times, but I know there was in this, uh, the Jim Henson biography book, um, by Brian, Brian J. Jones. I don't know if you've, if you've ever read it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, like I recommend anyone, you know, if you love Jim Henson, like, I mean, if you love Dark Crystal, it's definitely worth, worth a read. Um, if you ever get a chance, but one of the big things that I think Jim always said about the biggest selling point, like with the puppets is the eyes. It's like, if you cannot sell the character, you know, with, with the eyes, then you're just not going to believe in the character at all. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting move, you know, especially, you know, having one of the characters whose eyes would have to be completely digital. I thought, how are they going to, to make that work? But, you know, that they, they ended up, you know, making it work. And I think that was one thing I was really surprised um, that, you know, reading reading about that her eyes were um completely digital was yeah that was it was a bit of shock and um yeah it was so, very very interesting that yeah they did they were just able to pull that off so especially since they one of the first things that they teach you in when you learn about animation is the eyes um part of what makes eyes more human is when you can see the whites so in cartoon characters and stuff when they make like dogs that talk and like pixar characters and stuff 
they'll add more of the whites to the eyes in an, an animal that otherwise maybe you wouldn't see that but it makes them more human and it makes us connect with them a little bit more so it would be a really big challenge for a character like Deet whose eyes are supposed to be entirely black you could think oh that might make them a little bit less relatable to us and a little more alien looking a little less human maybe it would be harder to show emotion through that but they managed to combat that like even though yes her, her eyes are entirely black they animated them in such a way that it's they move with very real emotion and they they still have sparkle like they're black yeah, yeah. but they're not flat they're not flat like one dimensional you know they're they still have life in them and i imagine that was probably a really big challenge in the in the designing process for her puppet that um a character that has entirely black eyes is probably hard to get right you know they probably went through some phases of her looking a little more dead-eyed <laughs> and and that could have that could have gone really wrong i think a character having black eyes is a really big risk yeah absolutely yeah so i mean that's one of those things i'm really curious about you know whether in season two whether they'll actually you know get you know get the eyes work not like you know that uh becky would be able to perform the eyes um in season two so uh that's why i'm, I'm really curious whether they'll they'll ever be able to do that or just continue with doing um the eyes as, as you know digitally so that's one aspect i'm very i'm very fascinated to see what will happen especially like some of the puppet the other puppeteering sort of techniques that sort of came from different characters whether they get implemented and all that kind of stuff so that's one thing i'm sort of you know very much looking forward to like um yeah we'll, we'll, we'll probably wrap, wrap it up soon but i guess you know thinking about Dean and, and what her what she's been going through um i don't know like where do you see where do you see her um you know should we get more stories about Deet? um i mean especially you know coming from the visions that we saw from her in episode eight what do, do you see sort of her, her direction you know whether she was just gonna keep being corrupted by the darkening more and more and just be a bit of a tragedy sort of story or like what will be something uplifting for you know that she's able to do yeah <laughs> i what's interesting to me about deet in regard to her potential future what could happen to her in the future is that the closer we get to her character the more we get to know her as we watch the entire series you know, I, I said before that she was the most unfamiliar-looking girlfriend. She, does, she looks the least like Jen and Kira. But the more we watch the show and get to know her character, her behavior is actually very similar to Kira's. And there's a lot of speculation and theories that, um, you know, as to which characters are going to be the parents <laughs> or, or maybe the grandparents of, of those characters. But, and the biggest theory is that um brea is gonna be kira's mother and that jen's parents are gonna turn out to be rian and deet because obviously there's sort of that romantic vibe going on between deet and rian but what throws me there is that i really can't help but notice the ways that kira's personality takes after deet and is that gonna be is that gonna be something that is genetic could deet maybe be you know if she makes it through this and ends up being maybe a, a relative that down the line is gonna gonna be kira because 
I mean, they really make a point to show us how important nature and animals are to Deke and how she behaves with them and how she connects with them is so, like, near identical to the way that Kira interacts with the creatures of Thra and how how much she understands the natural world as well. Like, it just kind of, like, obviously she grows up with the podlings among nature, but also she, it's just, it comes naturally to her, so to speak. And I can't help but wonder if, if down the line, Deet is there's going to be a reason why there's that connection. So that's a big clue to me that the story isn't over for Deet. It's not just going to be a tragedy if she gets lost to the darkening. I see one way or another, um, if we are lucky to get a season two, which we are all still hoping happens, um, and even if it's not, even if it's not via another season of the show, maybe it'll turn out that they'll do it via comics. You know, and that and that would be a fine alternative if that's the way it has to be. That's better than nothing. I could see a big part of the plot um, being sort of Rian and Brea and the other characters trying to find a way to heal Deet, because I think that's sort of more motivation for them to try to heal the crystal. Because it could stand to reason from their logic that through healing the crystal, they heal darkening. That also heals everyone that's been infected by the darkening, including Deet. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, yeah, you could have that story of these, you know, yeah, of Rian and Bria, you know, trying to find out how to heal Deet. And while they're doing that, the Skeksis are doing their own thing. You know, they're just building building the army of the of the uh, Gotham. So, and then it's like, oh, well, once Deet is healed, and it's like, well, the Gotham are here. It's like, who are these creatures? Like, um, so that, that, that'd be very interesting to yeah. see. Um, it adds how more intensity. Yeah. It yeah. adds more of like an immediate need for them to solve the problem rather than just, we have to do it because down the line, we're all going to get destroyed. It's more like, no, this has to happen now because every minute that goes by that the infection is still spreading, Deed is dying and we have to save Deed. So there's that aspect of the stakes are much higher now. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think the story was meant to end for Deed there. I think it was definitely meant to be more of a cliffhanger and like that's the motivation for Rian especially to try to heal the crystal and heal the darkening because in doing so he probably thinks he can heal deep yeah yeah and I think you know hopefully he does I mean I mean, we all I mean one so. of the oh. big oh yeah yeah I know like one of the big things that was mentioned I think in episode eight was that the darkening can only be transferred so I always have sort of had that sort of inkling in the back of my head where the she has she, you know she ends up transferring the darkening to someone else and that's how she gets healed um who, i mean who knows maybe maybe rian he he's probably like give me the darkening you know <laughs> um as some you know as a, a sacrifice sort of thing i, I don't i don't know like yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see um yeah if she'll definitely re- if she um recovers from the darkening yeah. so because i don't think fingers crossed that, yeah <laughs> fingers crossed for sure all four fingers all four yeah. link fingers are crossed i think oh yes yeah yeah <laughs> that i mean part of the reason why she walks off into the forest and just accepts her fate is because she can't bring herself to pass on the darkening to anybody else because it's in her nature to be selfless and to care about everybody around her i don't think she would she could never bring that curse to another living thing whether that was another gelfling or even if it was just another random creature i don't think she would even do that she loves every single creature that's alive and and that's that's why she's just like well i'm just gonna go 
let this be my fate now because better me than anyone else because she just her heart's too big so they're gonna try to save her i think and that's why we need a season two because we all want to see that darn it i know yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so fingers crossed and um yeah just hope for the best for date um so i think we'll we'll wrap up for this this discussion of of date um though we actually want to um call out to all our uh, listeners for the podcast uh we'd love to actually hear your thoughts about the character of date and what we'll do in the next episode we'll keep continuing discussing uh, about date but also um read some people's um read your emails um and your thoughts so for example we actually got an email from amanda talbot um so she wrote hi philip and sydney i have just finished listening to your character chat about rian so glad it is in two parts as i feel there is so much more to him that people might not see at first i was so desperate to hear your thoughts i have become a patreon member so i can hear the podcast early but wanted to say in general a massive thank you for keeping the fandom alive and having such great guest interviews do you know when you might be getting <laughs> Becky Henderson on? Which, I mean, you know, we, we'd love to have Becky on. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, we, we certainly hope to have her on the show. I mean, Becky, I mean, if you're listening, like, uh, feel free to get in contact with us. Um, we'd definitely love to have you on the show to, ch- uh, to chat about um, Deet. And, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it would be so awesome. So, okay, so moving on from the email. Uh, so she wrote, um, anyway, I wanted to drop your line about Rian. Although I am not as eloquent with my words as the lovely Elian, I met her and the entertainer as the great conjunction. Such talent. I did want to add what Rian meant to me as a big fan of his. Yes, the obvious as you already discussed, he is seemingly the most beautiful of all the puppets. Even the girls, strangely. Although that could just be me. But he has shown the most growth out of all the characters. A real boy to man story, but so sensitively done with no massive drumroll slash Hollywood montage change. I too have loved Neil Sternberg's puppeteering of Rian, and I think this is half the reason I love the character. He feels so real, and I agree, it is hard to think that he doesn't in fact have any legs. I have chatted with Neil on Instagram and complimented him on his puppeteering, and he has always been so nice. It was lovely to meet him and Rian at the conjunction, if not a little intimidating. I had no idea I was such a fangirl until we were face-to-face. Brackets. Blush. I got some great shots of Rian and a full almost 360 video of him. I feel a little embarrassed to say that at nearly 40, I still do love a good love story. So really, am on board with the whole Rian and Deet relationship, or Stonegrot, as it seems to be known in the fandom. I have seen a large amount of debate over him moving on from Mira, as you discussed today, and whether in fact he and Deet are any more than just good friends. And I do love the discussion and how passionate people get about it, but it is very much about what you project onto these puppets, and for me I am happy to project my joy for a slow burn love story, as I think they said in the Crystal Calls documentary was always the plan. You may well discuss it more in detail come the next instalment, but I felt the characters fell in love very slowly, and I think quite by surprise to both of them, especially Rian. So I think it was handled beautifully, 
whilst still honouring Mira's memory and I cannot wait to see him charge off into the sunset to save his new love. Smiley face. Brackets. Okay, so maybe a little bit Hollywood. <laughs> in bracket. That being said, I started out as a general fan of The Dark Crystal as I was a small child when I first watched it on VHS. And when I was told about the Age of Resistance series, I hadn't been a massive fan that had been waiting years for this, as you guys have been. However, I can quite happily say now that it has taken over my life, my daily thoughts. So I do love the discussion and fan family it has created. I did all I could for the Thrarathon, and I'm an active member on the Facebook chats, though I don't know enough about the lore to delve in too deep. But I do love it. The fan fiction is great, and I swear some people have written an amazing season 2 of their own. I do so badly want a second season and keep looking for glimmers of hope that it may still become, that it may still happen, or that people know about it but aren't saying. It drives me insane. So I can only imagine what you true fans had gone through waiting many years for something to come of this. So I am truly thankful for you guys and all the great chats that have come from this and will no doubt continue. Anyway, I am rambling now, so should go, but I just wanted to say hi and thanks again, Mandy Jones. So Mandy, yeah, thank you so much uh, for your email. Um, really appreciate um, your time writing the email and, um, you know, and that, that's the thing. We, we love hearing from the fans, um, you know, which is such a big thing, you know, getting the fan involvement, but also, you know, just, I mean, for me, it's like, I, I love seeing everyone's, you know, posts about Dark Crystal, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, um, it always certainly gives me a smile to my face. And um, it's, you know, it's one of the great fandoms out there, that's for sure. Um, so you can do that by, you can just write an email at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can either write us an email or you can actually um, uh, leave a, you know, send us a voice message if you want. And uh, we'll definitely play those on the show. Because um, I know Deet was definitely one of the, biggest fan favorite characters um for the show so you know like all characters i mean we're all gonna need you know two parts two episodes to sort of uh get through them all so it's 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 really good fun so plenty more shows to come any ideas for uh maybe a, a mad lib story for deet if you have any ideas out there send them our way maybe we can make it work let's see let's see what you got i'm always really excited to see what you guys can think of it was another fan's idea to do mad libs in the first place so hit us with your ideas that's you guys are you guys are awesome find us on facebook um we're on the crystal shard we've got the trial by stone facebook page you know if that's yep, and twitter and instagram, yeah, instagram yep. go for it we're everywhere <laughs> let us know yep absolutely yeah cool all right so yeah we'll wrap it up and yeah we'll um definitely stay tuned uh for next time we'll do uh the second part of um, the discussion of date Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal Podcast, is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.
This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com.